The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners to the Identity Matters Conference and Podcast. We are very excited for all of you who are joining us from France, from Tanzania, Uganda, Liberia. This is very, very exciting. We don't want to ignore anyone from any country that is signing in, but we just want to thank you for doing this. And we want to challenge you to get your hands on these tools of teaching in the online library, the IFEL, which is what you guys are familiar with over there, the International Fellowship of Exchange Life Online School. We presently have 87 courses completed. The audio, the articles, the PowerPoint slides that go with it if you're a teacher that you can download and teach to your people. Go to www.iomamerica.org Mouse over the online school. You'll see a quick course finder that'll drop down from there. Click on there and pick whatever course you want. Keep in mind all of you are doing the online school or want to do the online school. Everything is free. We have a suggested donation, but everything is free. We have the right to give it away and we will. So thank you online listeners for joining us. The Identity Matters title came from a very simple time I had in prayer when God was saying to me to exhort me, encourage me, admonish me in my own life that, Stephen, identity does matter. So let's begin to break this down. Our identity in Christ is the basis of the identity of the living God. To know him, there is nothing greater. And that is inside you if you are an actual born-again indwelt Christian. Eternity is living and breathing inside you. Our first message for today is called Discipleship in the Making. This is in your workbook. On page 29, if you've got that workbook pulled up online, as you know, the free copy is available for observation or preview only, but it's page 29. Discipleship in the making. If you turn the page to page 30, you are going to see this diagram, 77 Truths for the Seven Areas of Life. I want to show you how this works. This may not mean much to you, but if you're an educator, it will mean a great deal to you. But this whole conference that you're hearing today is coming from a textbook. And it is 77 Truths for the Seven Areas of Life, coming under the primary banner, of course, of Identity Matters. My whole life's work is being put into a textbook, 777 pages. The first sections in this textbook are the seven introductions. What is the exchange life? The models that are in the world, the phases. What's the definitions really of true discipleship? Embracing authority. Why do you need to learn how to embrace authority to be able to be discipled? Yeah. Big question. Great answer. And then solutions. Versus teaching people through self-help programs in the church of coping, coping, coping. And then the next phase, seven teachings, you're going to hear 12 today, 13, actually counting the one we're doing to set you up for the meet. But we're going to reduce those down to seven chapters. Like extending forgiveness and seeking forgiveness will be one chapter. So we've reduced them down to have a little fun with the number seven. We want people to remember this. This textbook, too, will be free. God has assured me that he's going to multiply this thing. This is for the institutions. This is for the colleges. 
This is for the training schools that are in churches. This is for ministries that have take online teachings and training and, and offline training and teaching very seriously, like my friends in Uganda, like my friend in Nigeria. I'm going to tell you more about him. Unbelievable what he is doing with these materials. So, then the next phase is the seven areas of life, which you're going to be hearing about some of those today, but we have written very specific uh, articles, so to speak, on those specific areas and how the truths of who you are in Christ apply to the seven areas of life. For example, hearing Christ in you, not I, but Christ, but what's that got to do with my marriage? What's that got to do with parenting? How, how do I apply it to my parenting? Well, God the Father is the greatest parent I know. And if you don't think that he cannot speak to his son and his son can't speak to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can't speak through your little weak, frail mind of yours, I have a different question for you. It surrounds salvation. This is critical. It's all about getting who Christ is into those seven areas of life. Next phase, we got to talk about the seven deadly sins. Violating life. We call that murder. Do we not? Abortion is murder. Euthanasia is murder. I just heard a story yesterday. I think Cindy was telling me, but I don't want to indict you. But uh, how someone is moving from America to a certain country so she can self-euthanize herself. Kill herself. Legally. I say... Wait, it'll be in America real soon. There's two states already have signed up for it. Wait. See, huge sin is to make murder common sense. And then violating authority, violating the Hebrew family model, violating morality, violating the Trinity, violating unity, violating knowing him. If you don't know him, forget it. Hang your Christianity up. You're going to wear out. At least live a restful, peaceful, unsaved life. Do you know there's more Christian divorces than there are non-Christians? Christians are taking advantage of Christ in ways they would never have done five years ago. And they signed Jesus' name to it. I know when I get to see him face to face, I will not see a passive emergent leader. I'm going to see fire in those eyes. I'm going to see a drawn sword. I'm going to see a man of conviction. I'm going to see a man on a mission. And I will finally get to see myself in the mirror. Sounds odd, doesn't it? But it's not I, but Christ. I'll see every Christ characteristic that he's worked on my entire Christian life. Then we need to get into the seven applications, repentance, identification, disciplines, obedience, fruit of the Spirit, victory, and vision. You can get highlights of these articles. They go out in our weekly emails all over the world. We have we, the stories just go on and on of people's lives being touched by these articles. They, these people are my testers. They read them, email me back saying, I don't like this when I like this. Have you considered this or whatever? They're helping me refine the final product. And that has been a huge blessing for us is to have that those email readers. Then we go into the seven victories. Honor, love, acceptance, sealed as the bride, fi finality of sin, surrender, and provision. Each of these last four have got seven prayers. Why are seven prayers important in those areas? Well, you'll discover more why it really is, but most people don't know how to pray. They don't. When I pray, it better be doctrinally solid, and it better be from my heart. So when you hear people pray over their meal and Lord, thank you for the food you put in front of us and we, we, uh, well, let's see, how'd that prayer go again, honey? 
Jesus warned us about prayers like that. I want it to come from the core of what I believe so I can be corrected. Finally, the seven phases, this is what my daughter Jessica has added to this work, is the seven praises of the cross, fighting our battles, walking the road of, of persecution, Savior who identifies, everlasting forgiveness, co-death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, raise me up in new life, and then actually having a Savior that lives and breathes inside of us that is completely holy and righteous. So, the seven areas of life come from the 77 truths being poured into it so the seven areas of life can be a way to demonstrate to that community out there who Christ is. So they will glorify him. Next diagram, PD 108, is generational gospel focuses this way. I'll just put myself in this position of being a primary discipler in the case of Marcos. So Marcos is a guy that I am discipling on a weekly basis. I'm pouring my life into Marcos, but in my mind I am not interested in Marcos's healing. I'm not interested in him saying nice things about his counseling or his discipleship. Anyone who puts you on a pedestal is the very one who kicks it out from underneath you. I get text messages and emails of people saying, I despise you. I'm like, finally. You see, if someone agitates, if if someone is agitated enough to send you hate mail, they're asking for help. You know, the worst type to deal with in discipleship and counseling are the passive cowards. Did you know coward is a word that's actually in the Bible? Did you know the term stupid shepherds is in the Bible used close to ten times? Yeah. These are men and women who simply lay around and do nothing about their faith. The only way that I know of to keep your plumbing system clean inside your home is turn on the faucet. Why don't you start with once a day to where water is constantly coming out of those pipes where it is cleansing as you're giving it away. You don't give it away, you're going to corrode. Being in ministry as many years as I have been, I have discovered that is a profound truth. I want the Holy Spirit inside Marcos to be a first generation discipler that he admonishes and exhorts and edifies and reproves a young man that's supposed to be here this morning, but for some reason couldn't make it this morning, but it is a disciple he is reaching out to. Flow. I step back and flow. Therefore, you can disciple hundreds of people sitting in one single chair. It's very powerful because it's Christ. What is discipleship? A disciple, according to the Greek, means learner, one who is willing to accept instruction. Someone please tell me, what is the key word in this diagram, in this sentence? Huh? Willing. Now there's actually statistics given to us that in this room, Forget our international listeners. In this room, 80% of you are blowing me off right now. You're just going into your little sleepy mode. You're tuning things out. You're starting to lose the edge of truth. So therefore, you will not be set free. 
Satan is so predictable, it just is sickening. But most people don't give a second chance to the second chance you're being given. They end up in a casket. Like Ben. But he got it before he entered that casket. And now the life is being given away. So it burdens me. I mean, I I can't even tell you how many times I weep in a day of people who think they got it. And they don't. Because they drift. Do you know when I hear the truth, I get cranked up. It's like slamming down one of Shannon's coffees. I mean, I just, this is an ad for you, Shannon. Broadway Market, Sterling, Kansas, serves up the best coffee in town. So, when I hear that truth, I just get revved up. So when I, if someone hears the truth and they go lethargic, what is that? You'll know by the end of today. Secondly, the discipler is an instructor or teacher who produces followers of a discipline of a particular teacher. It doesn't necessarily mean them. And it doesn't necessarily mean Jesus Christ. It could be any kind of a teacher. Do you know that in 201 primary religions in the entire world, Christianity is at the bottom for faithful followers by practice? At the bottom. We have religions out there like the Muslim religion, and if there are a couple Muslims listening, I want to say this to you right now. I admire you in your faithfulness to follow your teachers. You make Christians look like kindergartners. You, you take what your leaders are telling you as literal, as life committed, and you carry it out to the letter of the law. Whether you murder someone or you murder yourself in a suicide mission. You guys get it over us Christians. I had an imam, he's actually a friend. Whether you guys like hearing that or not, he's a regional imam for the international Muslims. We've had many, many discussions. We've served on panels in Washington, D.C. together, and we got to know each other quite well. And he says the same thing about you. He says, you know, I have a respect for you as a Christian leader because of what I just said about the Muslims, he said about me. You're immovable. You believe what you are talking about. You attempt to live out what you're talking about. So I said, what what are you saying that I'm like you? We'd have these little moments of laugh. Of course, you can never go there. So, you know, I believe God's going to save this gentleman. I do. It's not beyond him. They're not lazy people. Not the ones I've met. I can tell you other religions that are the same way. Why are we always the ones that are lazy? Why are we always the ones accused of getting the worst statistics on commitment to marriage? Why? Why us? Well, the answer is kind of obvious and it should be kind of obvious to you. The enemy hates you. He doesn't hate Muslims. He loves them. It's his primary religion. He loves them. He hates you. And as my imam said, whenever you say Christ in you, living in you, through you, 
You are challenging us to kill you. One of my workers over in Ethiopia sent me a video clip of a young man having his head removed with a pocket knife. The video went on for 20 minutes. And he was handing out our tracks in Ethiopia. And as they are shouting out their hatred on this video, off of a phone. You know, all of what I'm doing today too is from that little phone. From a phone. Well, I don't speak their language. I can figure out a few words, but I am looking at my brother, an exchange life worker, and the peace on his face. His blood is just draining. I couldn't even get through the entire video. Yesterday's video was almost as sickening with a child. Well, you know what? They are willing to be persecuted for the sake of their teacher. The one they're following. Everything is done to them is it's done unto him. Everything. Every child that's going to be wounded today, every Christian that will be murdered, every wife that will be beaten because she has a husband who is sick of his own self-life. Addicted to his own self-life. Attends events because his wife made him come. Attends church because his wife makes him attend church. He's dead. Or vice versa. Christ says, Honey, he's doing that to me, not to you. And this too shall be stopped. His mind may not be able to accept the correction today. And some of the Muslim men that have abused their wives, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you defile a woman and you will go face to face with the living God. A woman is the living example of the Holy Spirit. And those of you who know the Word of God know this. There's one unpardonable sin. One. And what is it? Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. The Hebrew words describing a woman are the exact, exact Hebrew words describing the Holy Spirit. There's no names associated with their adjectives. Healer, counselor, nurturer, their adjectives. Yeah, Jesus gets the lion's share of 225 names. God the Father gets, gets 43 primary names. And the, and the Holy Spirit gets none. Well, do you know any female names in the world today? I've asked my buddies all over the world. No country has a female name. Not one. They're all their daddy's name and his daddy's 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 name and their daddy back to Adam. A woman's name used to be given to her to describe how she empowers a man. You see, those days are gone. Everything's neutral, 50-50. Really? Does that work in heaven, you think? Think so? No, it wouldn't. And it doesn't. And it won't. So who's your teacher? That's a pretty big one. And then discipline. Well, I already told you about that. It's just not going to work here today. Discipleship, the process in which an instructor, teacher, or mentor uses to influence a willing learner to follow a particular leader in beliefs and deed. You have your favorite scriptures of how you like to follow Jesus. Most do. 
There's even unbelievers that have favorite scriptures. They twist them up a little bit. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Really? Is that really in there? No, it's not. (laughs) You got it from a movie you watched, maybe. Christ-centered discipleship is a servant leader who is compelled to voluntarily instruct others in becoming a follower of Christ Jesus in truth and deed. Those of you who have been a part of my Hebrew studies, what does truth mean? Ab? The Hebrew definition of truth is... Huh? Betrothed. It's an amazing thing. You can discover it yourself. Google it for Pete's sake. It'll show up on the top of the bar. Truth means betrothed. Someone tell me what betrothed is. I know it's an old English description, but what is it? Engaged. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, I am the groom. You're my bride. And honey, I'll, I'll submit to you anything you want. No, he says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Everything you hear Jesus say is immovable, but kind of gentle and sweet, sometimes not. Calling people vipers and sons of Satan. and You know, he does a few of those. But the fact is, he's not going to submit himself to his woman. We are the woman as the bride of Christ, and we are to submit to our teacher in truth. Betrothment. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the pathway unto my Father. And the way you're going to get there is by becoming my bride. The way you become my bride is to become born again, born into me, and I come into you. (coughs) Then we'll go unto the Father together. And then when I stand before the Father, I will present my bride to my Father. I will introduce you by name. He calls me Stephen the Redeemed. Hear it every day. He'll introduce you to his daddy by name. Oh, look, it's written right there on the palm of my hand. How many, how many, just raise your hand if you knew scripturally that your name is written on the palm of Jesus? Unbelievable. <laughs> the identity. Duh! My name represents an aspect of his quality, Stephen the Redeemed. You preach constantly, Stephen of Redemption. You're not known for who you are. You're known for what you do, Stephen, because I want to do this through you. Show redemption. My name, one of his names, is Redemption. Why is Jesus called the Christ? Because he's the Messiah. It's not his last name. The name describes the action of the discipleship. Here's what 2 Corinthians 3.16 tells us. Page 33 in your workbook. Is the doctrines, reproof, correction, and instruction are the four primary objectives of this passage, of what the Word of God is supposed to be used for. Second column, application, doctrine, application is believing. Third column, action is righteous thinking. Fourth column, process, which is discipleship. Producing repentance, identity in Christ, discipline, obedience, first fruit, victory, and vision. Finally, the result is a transformed life going into the world to share what has been shared with them. Pretty simple. 
Those of you who are listening online, uh, there's some Harleys going by, and I'm very distracted, and I want to get mine out and go join them. But that would be my flesh. Okay, so here it is. Doctrine. Then we're supposed to believe doctrines. Then we'll start to have righteous thinking, and then we can be dis- discipled. You think you get discipleship before that? You're going to have to go to a, through a program. By the way, the only way that you'll make it if you're an independent thinker who thinks they're God, you won't survive a discipleship program. You can't be told what to do. You'll spend more time looking at your self-centered views of a life than you will on being able to be discipled out of it. Sad state for those of you who are in that. Secondly, Timothy, Paul told Timothy this, The scriptures are for reproof, son. Why? Because we have to deal with these problems, rejecting the lies that the enemy is throwing at you right now. If you think that you're having a little bit of dizziness right now, wait till we get into this thing. Because the enemy is lying to body Christ members every day, all day long, trying to throw them off from getting the truth that will set them free. Well, you got reproof, problems. Why? For right choosing. Well, you got right thinking. Now I can have right choosing. Then I can be discipled. Then I can change someone else's life with Christ in me. Then we have correction. Oh boy, now this is really going to get nasty. Correction? Have you not noticed something, guys, in the world today? How people can't be corrected anymore? I've been doing this over 40 years. I used to have people sitting across my desk begging for truth. Begging to be told what to do so that they can get out of their mess. Their problems. And now I have to pray earnestly that a young man in particular, men are really arrogant this way, because they can only teach themselves and disciple themselves. They can't submit themselves to someone discipling them. I'm the man. i gotta be, I got to do it myself. I have to think this through. I have to pray about this. That drives me crazy and asks for years. Why do people have to pray about something God already said? They're going to get a new version? Maybe a gender-friendly version of that passage. Because you're offended by the scriptures being so male. (laughs) See what we're doing? And you think God's going to kowtow to you because you want a new translation that doesn't affect your gender? Oh God, please deliver us. Deliver your children from such nonsense. I serve on a national committee that reviews these new translations coming out. And I'm going to mention their names. NIV. That was the first commission I served on. And I would get these documents that I'd have to read and say, eh, out, eh, in. I couldn't even get through it and I just started, I don't want to be a part of this project. I don't want to nickel and dime the scriptures down to God being a Shem. I don't want God to be a transvestite. I don't want to serve a transvestite. I don't want sexuality to be a focus. I I had to deal with an author who wrote a book on the sexuality of Jesus. He happens to be one of the leading Christian speakers around here. Why are we talking about Jesus' sexuality when he's supposed to consummate with us? Don't convince me that he is some kind of male that had Mary Magdalene on the side as a girlfriend when he is saving himself for the bride of Christ and he's going to consummate after the battle of Armageddon. You see, the enemy knows that we are begging for lies. We're not begging for truth. It takes a healthy Christian to convince me they're begging for truth. We beg for lies. Please lie to me. So I can go to hell happy. 
And I'm telling you Muslim guys that are listening to my, me right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything's about sex. Everything's about pleasing yourself. Everything's about glorified masturbation. It's always about you, your needs, your wants, your way. And you will use and abuse women. You'll use and abuse children just for glorified masturbation. And that is masturbation comes from two very simple words. Master and bation is usury. Now you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sexuality. It is a statement from men saying, I must be he. The master. He just uses sex to get it done. The instruction part of this passage given to us oftentimes is confused with doctrine, but it's very, very different. It's instruction for training. That's what the verse actually says. Living righteous. So we got thinking righteous, choosing righteous, living righteous, so the disciple can apply this to their lives personally, so that the living, walking truth, true identity in Christ can be given away to someone else. Now, this is just the warm-up message. It's not even considered part of the 12. So I want to give you permission to leave any time today that you want. There may be some of you who are being uh, agitated by the simplicity of the warm-up. Don't lock yourself in the chair because you, your pride is even putting you in that chair. Leave. If you need to. Because you've heard enough truth already. That will completely transform your life. Two words. Someone hearing walking by. Is all it's going to take. One word. But want. Truth. You're going to hear a lot of it today. And you'll be worn out at the end of the day. If it agitates you. You'll be revived at the end of the day. I'll be tired at the end of this day, but I will not be worn out mentally. Truth sets us free. It wakes us up. There's four kinds of Christians or four kinds of humans. And three of these claim to be Christians. And here's our deal. The guy here on the left starts with his birth and he goes up and goes around the message of the cross. He's unsaved and he knows he's unsaved and he's not afraid to tell you. Kirk Cameron recently went around and had his cameraman turn on the camera and he wanted to find out how people were responding or reacting to this Noah movie. Very dangerous movie, I might add. It was taken from the new C.S. Lewis gender-friendly translation. There's a movement in Hollywood to take these gender-friendly translations and do something very serious. You're going to be hearing more about this. Of neutralizing the characters of the Bible. Wow, we make some money. It's a serious problem. Christians are buying it because God's name is mentioned. There's a Bible character name mentioned. You remember when Touched by an Angel came out? I was one of them went, finally a Christian show. Oh my landlord. By the end of that series, I'm like, what did I do watching this thing? Because it was the show and is the show today in Christian history that has been promoting and also violating the scripture on the worship of angels. They introduce sex with humans. They introduce the list is very, very long. That came out of this one show that was Christian. Because they used the word God. And this was one of the things God showed me. Unless you hear my name spoken. Jesus Christ. Hold them at arm's length. Mission programs that don't use the term Jesus 
Christ. Hold him at arm's length. Movies that don't say Jesus Christ. When I read the words out of the mouth of this young man, they're making a movie, have made the movie, it's coming out, may already be out by now, but uh, this little kid goes to heaven and whatever. And I'm reading out of his father's mouth what he wrote in regard to being against his own son and his mother, what they were conniving through this story. And then in the end, joining the universalism to the point of saying, you do not, this is a quote, you do not need to be born again to meet Jesus. His own father, a pastor, started out in strong, immovable doctrines of Jesus is the only way. Through a story of a little kid in the relationship over a protective relationship mother and that child and then this writer comes in who's a universalist and then it all kind of comes out as something, oh my. And dad joins, yes honey, whatever you, whatever you think. Because he wants to keep the relationship. There shall come a day when a man is faced with the scriptures that Jesus said. Any man who loves his father, mother, brother, sister, more than me. Someone want to finish the verse? Is not worthy of me. We're living in that society, folks. It's here. It's all around us. And Christians are buying into this graven imagery as we give this message. Second guy, born physically, approaches the cross, gets on his knees, confesses he's a sinner going to hell without Christ, receives Christ, walks after the Spirit from that day forward. Yes, there are Christians that really do that. Not a lot, I'll give you that. Third guy, he's born, he approaches the cross, realizes he's a sinner going to hell without Christ and receives Jesus as his Lord and Savior and life and walks and all of a sudden, this is my story, and walking along, no one's discipling him and pretty soon makes this decision, you know, it's just not worth it. Boom, they fall back into their old lifestyle. The enemy wants them to think they're going to hell and... Yeah, it wasn't a real salvation. And you know the story. They're not going to hell. If you've truly been born again, you've been sent through the birthing canal of the cross, and you can't go in reverse. It's like a baby can't crawl up in the mother's womb and say, I hate you. I want to be reversed and rebirthed. What are we going to do? Crawl back up in me and go backwards in your development? Or how's this going to work, son? Well, we can see that earthly wise, but we have a problem with that spiritually. Questioning our salvation day in and day out. That's not what you should be questioning. Walking after your flesh. We'll talk about that. They need to be brought to the cross of not I but Christ. The next person approaches the cross. It could be led there by their Bible school teacher, their whatever. They, are, they approach the cross and they're just nice people. Laodicean people are the nicest people I've ever met. They hug you. They sing praise songs. They stand up on the pews. They speak in tongues. They, they're just, they're nice people. But they're going to hell. They're the ones that will stand before the throne and say, I preached in your name. I, I casted out demons in your name. I did miracles in your name. And you know, Jesus is going, that's the problem here. I preached in your name. I performed miracles in your name. 
You're using Christ's signature and forgery. It's not Christ in you doing all this. It's you stealing from my name, signing it to doctrines of demons, and doing it in my name. How dare you be gone? I'm telling you how it is, folks. People are going to be sent to hell who think they're saved. And because they're deceived by that one sentence, they're never going to get it. Christ will spit them out of his mouth. They at least got in his mouth. I'll give them that. But he spits them out because it's bitter. It's defilement. They go on living, thinking they're saved. They, they start their own churches. These churches are emergent. I know a church in Wichita that has bought out several theaters for this upcoming movie of this kid going to heaven. I even said to these people that were telling me this, where, where is your pastor's head? I did 15 minutes of research and found out it's a universalist movie and your pastor's buying out theaters because they want to use it as a tool to introduce them to Christ. Really? I'm going to use the Satanic Bible to introduce people to Jesus Christ? Must I go get some emergent books and read all their stuff so I can understand Christ better? I'm not sure I get that logic. People actually have to see for themselves. What? Demonic doctrines? You got to see that? You can't, you can't get your arms around the fact that there is a world religion of worshiping angels? Used to be popular to wear a cross around your neck and now it's Angels. Is there not a scripture of warning about that? Yes, there is several. So there's our four people. Saved, and they're not afraid to tell you that. They need to be brought to the cross, both sides of the cross. Being crucified with Christ, the shadow man, and Christ himself, which is the focus. Both sides of the cross. The guy walking after the Spirit, the lady walking after the Spirit, those are the people we need to go get some advice from. The ones who have lived this life, dropped out for a while, and then came back, oh, they're really going to be the kind of people I go advice for. They know what it's like to walk in the muck. But the pure wisdom type, you know, those are the ones that walked after the Spirit from the day of their salvation, and they're chock full of wisdom, and they're not confused with darkness. They know what light is, and they know what darkness. They don't pay $8 on a ticket to go to a movie to scare the hell into them. Has that ever bothered you that we have Christians that love R-rated movies? They love them. They have favorites. Oh, I love horror movies because... Because why? Is it because you have a dark mind? So you watch dark movies? What are you communicating to me here? People don't want to hear that kind of absolutes anymore. It's too offensive. Grace and law. This is what it boils down to. High grace and high law people are victorious Christians. Because high Jesus, low law, fulfilled law, they have a beautiful response to the new covenant. But high law and low grace are people who constantly have to have control of life. They'll go neurotic, in fact, if they don't. But it's law, 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 law. Do you know people who are perfectionists, which is high law people? You know what they're actually communicating? For I exemplify the life of Satan over Christ. 
You see, there's a chapter in the Bible where the prophet described what Jesus was like, perfect in knowledge, perfect, perfect in beauty, perfect in every way. And then the whole rest of the chapter, God goes on to describe him and parallel him up to the finest, most beautiful jewels in the world. You think the Antichrist is going to have a black hood with blood coming out of the corner of his mouth? Then you've seen too many movies. He's going to be a beautiful, attractive, partially Middle East, partially American. He's going to look a little bit like an African American. He's going to look a little bit like, you know, a Russian. He's going to have such a combination of blood in him and mixture of identity and cultures that every person from every culture will go, surely this boy is him. I am he. So for God to wake Steve Finney up in the morning and walking over to this conference, for God to say for me, do you not believe I am he? It covers everything. When Moses had the audacity to... Ask God who he was. And you think about this. Asking God. Who are you anyway? What was the first thing God asked Moses to do? Take his shoes off, Moses. So he takes his shoes off. And... uh, What's the second thing that he says? For you are, you're on holy ground. Now I know I'm kind of weird as a Bible study researcher type, self-made historian. I went into the pictorial Hebrew and looked up the word sandals. I'm not even going to tell you the profound knowledge of God that's in sandals. Remember what God did when the people were complaining they needed new shoes from Dillon's? Or Dillard's? <laughs> Tried to pick a store that wasn't there anymore. What did God do in, in America with that? Made it so their sandals would not wear out. It's directly connected to the exchanged life. In the New Testament. Then he's asking to step back. Moses. I am. The I am. Now that'll mess with a Bible study guy. Has God got a stuttering problem like Aaron? Or what's the deal here? I am. The I am. Translating out, I am the blood. Well, what's that? Identity is in the blood. And that's in the Old Testament. There's identity in the blood. What do we know today in science, guys, about blood? It's where we find your DNA. And in your DNA, we find your full-on medical history. Your, your DNA, your identity, who you are. They can take scrapings off of Abraham Lincoln's bones and find out if you're related to him by exact numbers. Well, God saying I am the I am, I am the blood, that'll mess with your mind. And by the way, Moses, it'll be the blood of my son that actually saves the world. My son's identity is going to save the world. His blood will save a lost soul. I don't need to ask the question anymore of why Satan neutralizes these profound truths. The sandals are symbolic for your flesh. 
And God made him take off his flesh, his self-life, to hear him correctly. And then step back, have a little respect here, Moses. Or would you rather see this in a movie? Will that help? I don't want to see him in a movie. I don't want to see him in shows. I'm beyond that. I want him alone every day. Then if I see a cute movie, okay, I see a cute movie. Let's not be legalistic about it. This person is. This person over here is low law and low grace, and that's just flat out a neglectful Christian. The person up here, the permissive Christian, is high grace and low law. I mean, it's like everything comes under grace. We call them, in, in my, my uh, venue of ministry, gracealistic Christians. Everything's grace, 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 grace. Really? Then why do people go to hell? Why do 90% of the people born into this world go to hell? Is God a liar? It does matter. Everything is not under grace. You can't even have grace until your ears are done being tickled. Until those shoes are off. Step back, Moses. I'm about to speak. And you better listen. Because the mission I'm about to give you, Moses, is to go down and deal with an entire generation who are emergent with the Antichrist laws and rules and regulations. Pharaoh, the land of Egypt. When it comes to relationships, you have high relationship, low task person. You have a truly active Christian walking after the Spirit. Then you have high task person and low relationship. You have this Christian doing, doing, doing. Got to go to church. Got to, you know, make lunch for someone. Got to, they're just doing, 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 doing. And they think in the doing, that's who they are. The answer to that is wrong. This person, low relationship, low task. Wow. You talk about trying to make a pathway through a bowl of jello. You talk about trying to take a cube of jello and nailing that jello to a tree. They're sleeping inside as you're talking to them. Truth has no effect on them anymore. They're beyond being rebellious. They are lullabied by their own fleshly indulgences. And you can't motivate them. Forty years of discipleship, they're the worst type in the world for me to deal with. They're lazy cowards. They can't face truth. But I'll tell you what, if you get in an argument with them, you'll be sorry. But I know I'm different. They're lazy if they're even Christians. But they're lazy Christians. Don't you push me. So they're really not Nasty until you make them nasty. Then you have the final one, low task, high relationship. Everything's about people pleasing. Got to keep you happy. Got to keep the little woman happy. Got to keep the man happy. Everything's about keeping people happy. What, so they can be happy when they enter hell? Maybe? Or just right up to that moment? I mean, our logic in the church has really gone bad. It is a grievous, grievous sin to please another person before Christ. It's grievous. Here's this pathway about Moses I was sharing with you. It's one of my favorite diagrams. When they were in Egypt, New Testament-wise, this is symbolic of being unsaved. And in the world, and of the world. Your identity is the world. Born in and of Adam, bondage to Satan, identity is sin. 
need of salvation, controlled by Satan. Satan is father, spiritually dead, Christ living on in, excuse me, Christ living on the outside, lives in and from the old nature. We'll explain all this stuff later. Self as a lifestyle and self as an identity. To go from being delivered from Pharaoh into the Red Sea, there has to be a salvation. The Red Sea becomes the process of salvation. And that is salvation in Christ, born again in Christ, bond slave to Christ, co-crucified with Jesus, buried with him, resurrected with him, ascended and placed in the heavenly places through him, saved by his grace and life, delivered from all sin, past, present, and future. Once all those people got on the other side of the Red Sea and the last person crawled out of that Dead Sea onto the bank of the Dead Sea, God made perfect timing in getting to harden Pharaoh's heart. For the scriptures say, For I, the Lord God, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, so he may turn on my people. Persecution time, folks. So release, and those people come into that dry bed, not Pharaoh, of course, because he's a cowardly leader. And he comes into that riverbed, they come into that riverbed, and God releases the living water to crush them. Beautiful story of salvation, is it not? So now they're in the wilderness, acting as unsaved, selfish but saved, functioning in unbelief, yielding the old, uh, to the old father, Satan, disciplined by the Holy Spirit, being brought to the end of self, Christ as Savior but not life, using self-effort to change behavior. I won't do that again. I will go to, I will, I, and it is self-documents. Promises signed by Jesus Christ, using Christ, using him to change your life. He won't sign it, I can assure you. And then the children and grandchildren of the people in the wilderness. How many, how many parents got to go into the Jordan? How many? Two. Yeah. Two. Every single father and mother and grandpa and grandma and great grandma and great grandpa were so stubborn in their own thinking. God said, including you, Moses, you don't enter in. To the exchange life. Nope. He had to use a fresh generation. The children and the grandchildren. Because they didn't have the Adamic history. Of their parents sins. As an identity. They were tired of it. They were looking at their mom and dad. And they are like. Whatever. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Joshua, Caleb, could you sign me up on that list? Because I am done with this. So when I disciple people and there's some old timers in my office, and that could be from 30 on up, certainly 40 on up, and if you're in the uh, 60s and 70s or 80s or 90s or... Man, you're really in trouble. No, you're not. That's for us into all Christians where the wisdom shows up. But I have this constant awareness that that couple, that individual or whatever, probably are not going to get this. But I don't know. So I can't judge. I have to minister to them as if I've got a 13-year-old in my office, which is my favorite age to disciple someone. Because they're seeing their parents' stuff and they're like, yuck! And they're seeing the holiness of Jesus Christ wanting to go, yes. 
why we get a bar mitzvah at that age. The Canaan land is living out the exchange life. Our identity is brought, self-life brought to an end, identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Self is tossed aside, take your sandals off. Self-dispossessed. Realization, Christ must live and function in me, not for me. Release the mind of Christ from within. There are passages that say you have the mind of Christ in you. And then, ready to walk after the Holy Spirit. And the Canaan land is where all the battles are fought, true. And they're still fighting those battles, Israel is. And in the end, how many people will be against them? How many countries? All of them. Yes, America too. Even though we already have turned our back on them. But, all the nations. Well, say, I'm not standing with these radicals. I'm not going to do it. I'm going back to my people pleasing. Give me decisions you make every single day because you're embarrassed. You're ashamed of the gospel. I won't even quote the scripture that comes after that verse. But I will tell you this. If you're ashamed of the gospel, you will not be presented before the Father. You will be tested in this. And so am I. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.